Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Thanks for tuning in to Harvesting Happiness today for a healthy serving of consciously prepared brain food. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen, your host. For more than 13 years, I've been handcrafting these sound ideas for better well-being. Each week, I love spotlighting diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. I invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Alrighty then, let's dive in. This episode offers psychosocial education designed to inspire and motivate our listeners. The information provided does not constitute a therapeutic relationship nor a substitute for professional mental health care. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room, or for listeners in the United States, text 988 for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn how to be streetwise, a rationally philosophical road to reason and accountability. My guest today is Anthony Magnabosco. Anthony is a founder and current executive director of the nonprofit Street Epistemology International, known as SEI. SEI is an educational organization committed to addressing dysfunction in public and private discourse by encouraging rationality through civil conversation. There's so much more to this, and I want to get going with the conversation, but I also want to mention this street epistemology approach can be applied to a variety of claims, including religion, ghosts, karma, law of attraction, and other social and political topics. Anthony has been involved with street epistemology since 2013, and he's in the house to have a great conversation. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's one of my favorite topics, and I'm very pleased to be here to talk to you about it and expose your audience to some of these ideas as well. Thanks. Let's first break it down and define epistemology. Well, there's an academic definition of epistemology, which is the study of knowledge or the theory of knowledge. As we're using it in street epistemology, we mean how you're assessing the quality of your reasoning. So it's a little bit different than what people might be thinking. If, if you've ever taken a philosophy class or you've studied epistemology formally, it's a little bit different. We're interested in the method that a person is using to evaluate the quality of their reasons for thinking something is true. So it's a little bit of a difference there. Does that explain it? <laughs> it does. And I like it. It's about being able to understand, I think, and defend your position through knowledge, right? That's pretty much through, it. Through facts. Well, well close. Uh, when we're engaging with somebody about a claim that they make, whether it's about ghosts or politics or some social issue, the things that we tend to see people arguing about today, we engage using a street epistemology where we ask questions to help our conversation partner reveal to us as the questioner and themselves how they've concluded that their claim is true to some degree of confidence. And it's that back and forth process that helps them begin to realize, oh, I'm on good footing here. I'm justified in being 100% confident that that's true. Or maybe I'm not as justified and maybe I should back off of my confidence, which is really quite valuable when you look at the landscape today of how we're engaging with people on these difficult topics. 
So how does one start to have this kind of conversation? Like, I know one of the things that I do when I'm trying to understand another person's position is I ask a lot of questions, you know, tell me more about that. What makes you think that, you know, how do you know? Is that a good approach? Is that, might there be a better way? Well, there are other ways you can do it. Typically when we and I like that you're doing that. That's great. That's very close to what we do in street epistemology. We want to collaboratively explore how our conversation partner is reasoning about things. But what we typically see online is the complete opposite. We give people facts that we think they'll find convincing and they rarely do, or we ridicule them, which doesn't help at all. Or we might even debate or argue with them, which doesn't usually help unless you just happen to be lucky and give the exact argument that they would find convincing, which is kind of a crapshoot if you ask me. So yes, taking a step back and saying, can we work together to figure out how you've concluded that this is true? Can we work through this together in that type of approach? Now, getting the conversation started is a little tricky. Sometimes you might just have to wait until your conversation partner, your mom, or you know, your friend <laughs> says... You might have to wait until they say something because it could be a little awkward to say, hey, you remember that thing you posted on Facebook two weeks ago? Do you mind if we explore that? The process of starting the conversation might be one of the most challenging things. But if you can actually get the conversation going and set the stage for a collaborative exploration, it's going to be phenomenal if you use this approach with them. So let me give you a real life example. Names shall remain nameless. We're not going to say who this is. But I had a conversation with a relative who is very fear-minded and believes that they are out to get them. They themselves? They, the collective they. They, the collective. Are, yeah, they, the collective, and mm. have taken to sleeping with a loaded gun in their bedroom. Oh, wow. And by the way, they live in a very affluent, comfortable community. Okay. And that is very well protected. So, yes, and I have tried to approach the A, who is the they? How do you know that they're coming for you? <laughs> sure, sure. And what are they coming for? Sure, that's good. Like, it's very tough when you see somebody who seems to be holding a belief that you would say, well, that's just irrational. But it is helpful to approach it, at least from a, if you can, try to approach it from a place of neutrality. Maybe they're right. Maybe there is a good justification for them taking those types of actions. Now, maybe there's not a good reason for it, but we don't know that. So being neutral and saying, you know what, I'm going to take myself out of my own view of their view and try to work within their reasoning. And I would ask them broad questions. I wouldn't ask them very specific things. I wouldn't point out that they have a state of the other security system with cameras. I wouldn't point out that look at all the statistics in your area. Like you're safe. Don't worry about it. It's one of the worst things you could do. What's more important is to find out why they think they're unsafe. What are their justifications for thinking it? And then once you've isolated that and you've confirmed that that really is a reason why they're alarmed and taking such precautions, uh, you can then explore things that they would consider to change their mind. So instead of throwing things at them for them to consider, you ask them to reveal what they would actually find compelling. So that tends to really help people because you're not foisting anything upon them. You're listening to them and you're not misrepresenting their views. And that's the initial foray into the, a conversation like that. So it's calm inquisition. That's a great way of putting it. Yeah. Cordial curiosity even. is, a, is Oh, a, is I like a, that. I have a <laughs> so buddy who's a YouTube. slam around this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Most of the people who have YouTube channels where they, they record their conversations, where they're doing street epistemology approaches, 
they have these incredible names like deep discussions, cordial curiosity, uh, navigate with Nate, th these types of things, uh, sound epistemology, great channels that are out there and great examples of people using that type of approach. So we are coming into election season. The U.S. government is in a little bit of disarray at the moment, and there are a lot of people who are a bit spicy at the moment <laughs> with what's going on. Yeah. How would you suggest that we talk to one another, especially when we might be talking with somebody or dealing with somebody, albeit a family member or a coworker or just somebody on the street who might have a very different view than ourselves? Well, one of the first things that you should try to do is see, assess the environment if it's conducive to a type of talk like this. Sometimes we like I, I wouldn't recommend doing this approach at a protest where emotions are high and people are holding signs and they're messaging. You actually want to look for an opportunity where, OK, we're in the car and we're going to the grocery store and, you know, something was on the radio about politics and, you know my mom made some offhanded comment like that might be a good opportunity, but ask, like, <laughs> I, you could say, you know, I find that comment really interesting, you know, and what do you think about that? You can invite them to participate for one thing because they might not, might not be in the mood, but hopefully they are. Usually people are. And what I would try to do is like, ideally you can get some informed consent. Like, do you mind if I ask you a couple questions about that? That would be really great as opposed to being uh, sneaky about it. And like, I'm going to ask my street epistemology questions to help them realize that they're mistaken on it, which is what we tend to see a lot of people do. Like, can we walk through that? Like, I'm really curious. I'm genuinely curious why you think that. And if you want to know my position, I'd be glad to reveal it to you. But can we walk through your reasoning together? I've just, I have a couple of questions. And then when we're done, you can hit me back in return. I love that. I love that, that you saying that I would be willing to disclose my own reasoning if you want to know, or my own position on that. But there is a, there is a risk in doing that. So like, if mm -hmm. I do reveal my position and it is contrary to theirs, defenses could go up. And what, what tends to happen is your conversation partner now gives reasons that they think you'll find convincing. And those aren't the reasons that they find convincing. And that's a that's a big stumbling block to conversation. So just recognizing that alone is, is useful. So you could say, you know, before you give me reasons that you think I'll find convincing on this, can we walk through like, is that the reason that you found convincing? And almost always they say, well, no, I've got this other reason for thinking that this is true. And that's what you want to be exploring. So when people share their reasons and share the source of their information, I find that oftentimes the sources are not credible sources. So you have to sort of weed your way through that layer of defining what a credible source is. Because mm. people, they'll take, they'll lift their answer from the most convenient place, right? They'll do I, a Google search. It's at the top and therefore it's the gospel. Sure. And I do that myself. And I would imagine, not to put words in your mouth, but these are things that we all tend to do anyway. We're human. Yes, it's a human thing. We are thing. human. And we, we go to the trusted sort to the sources that we find trustworthy and generally align with our views. Otherwise, we don't usually seek them out rather than saying, you know what, that's an untrustworthy source. Didn't you see the rating from this other organization about the truthiness of that source? Like, don't go there. That's the worst thing that you can do. Another poor thing that you can do, I should say. A better thing would be to say. I've just, done that. I have done I, that. I, I, I have too. Like, why are you watching them? Turn that off. That's probably that not news. That is not news. <laughs> Better would be to say, how did you determine that that's a good, reliable source of information? Can you take me through your process? Like, for example, let's say you turn on the TV the next time and you hear them say something 
Can you take me through your process by which you evaluate it and decide, you know what, I'm going to believe that, or I'm not going to believe that. That would be Ooh, really that's useful. That's a good one. That's really ask, good. Like, you can take also ask like, through your process. Yeah. Take me through your process. That's what, that's what epistemology and street epistemology is all about. We want to understand the process that a conversation partner is using to assess the quality of their justifications or their reasons for thinking that their claim is true. And when you move from the, the claim itself, which is very tied to identity, and that's what triggers everybody. When you move from the triggering claim down to the process, people slow down and they, they think about the process. And it's the thinking about the process, in this case, the evaluation of a credible source, which helps a person reflect on it. Like, you know, I don't think I've ever really thought about what constitutes a credible source. I just I just always flip on the channel and I, I've been watching this for years. The credible sources. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a big part of this. And big part of the propaganda is people are out to sell stuff, right? Whether it's goods positions, opinions. And in my observation, just as just observing for many years, this process being in a family that's polarized on several subjects, I question, you know, like these resources and how they get down the rabbit hole. And I understand what happens to the brain when one gets in that rabbit hole, right? That how it gets stimulated and you get in the loop and you go down further and further and further and you get sucked in. I get that. But then the rationale is um, oftentimes so flawed. And I, I think this is really helpful. My point is this. I'm trying to say that I think this process is super helpful and educating us to approach the other with humility, with respect, with wanting to understand more deeply. I yes, think this is key. what you're saying. That's, that's key. key. Like if you, if you, if you approach it to, I genuinely am curious and want to understand how you concluded that this is true. Can we walk through your model of reasoning together? That is fundamentally, and when we're, te- we're just on the verge of testing this scientifically to see if this is indeed better, because anecdotally, it seems like it is the case. And that does tend to help people become more humble, more epistemically humble about what they claim to know, which is huge. Just moving a person off of 100% confidence to a 99 is a light year's improvement, in my view, because now you have a sliver of open-mindedness of reflection, of of re, potential reconsideration of the person's position, and we see we just see the opposite uh, today. We ha- we see dogmatic certainty on both yeah. sides, and yeah. it's a problem. It's a problem, and street epistemology tends to open people up. I like that you work in the area. One of the subject matters that you talk about is ghosts, and so this might be a neutral enough subject for us to demonstrate how to use this technique. Absolutely. Talking about ghosts. I've got a great, yes. And there's a wonderful conversation on my channel. It's one of my favorite talks. I recorded it here in San Antonio at a campus. There was a young student and she was always, she was under the impression that you should leave water out for your deceased relatives because the spirits will get thirsty. And her justification for thinking that this was real is because she would hear footsteps in the middle of the night. And the footsteps were of course, the the ancestors coming to get the, the water. I didn't tell her she was stupid. I didn't give her explanations. Well, maybe you were just tired and stressed and this was all in your mind. No, like, you know, how did you determine that the footsteps that you were here? How did you determine that the noises that you were hearing were were actually what you're concluding to be the case? In this case, it was ghosts. 
And it was the discussion about her methodology where she realized that she, it was interesting because she, we discovered that she had a higher standard for me to demonstrate to her that ghosts weren't real than the standard that she needed to conclude that they were real. She discovered that she was biased in favor of thinking that they were true and overweighting the evidence that she thought she had. And it was that discovery that helped her realize she was overconfident in her conclusion that ghosts were real. How do you know they're not? I don't. I don't. And, I, I, <laughs> and that, that's actually funny because a lot of people think that that people who adopt these tools are dogmatically certain that these things aren't real, that the election wasn't stolen, you know, that type of thing, or vice versa, that the election was stolen. Uh, that's not the case. Like ideal, what tends to happen when you when you start picking up these tools and using them in conversation is you tend to be more epistemically humble, epistemically humble about your own conclusions and your own certainty. I'm not 100% confident that ghosts aren't real. They very well may likely be. However, I have a standard of evidence that I would need to, it wouldn't be just hearing what sounded like footsteps for me to be conv convinced that they were real. I would want to investigate it. I would want to develop some sort of test to figure out if that was the case. I get it. I mean, you want some science. You want some facts that back. Ideally. That back. Yes, ideally. Yes. Well, when we broker in a world of data, science, facts, knowledge, then we can make informed decisions, right? If we're just banking ourselves on feelings and what we've read on some website, that's not enough. It's not enough, but it is enough for er almost everybody, including ourselves. We have psychosocial motivations that we qualify as evidence and say, well, I feel it strongly enough, therefore it must be true. Or I've got this gut instinct and my gut has never let me down before, therefore I'm justified in thinking that that's true. So street epistemology is so good for helping people assess their justifications, whether it's psychosocial, whether it really is evidence or it's some other thing. And helping them evaluate it to their own standard, not to ours. And it's that self-processing that is the magic of it. That's where the reflection can happen and the, the moving of confidence to be in alignment with the quality of the reasoning. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will continue the conversation with my guest today, Anthony Magnabosco. We're talking about boosting mental immunity. We're talking about being part of the Cognitive Immunology Research Collaborative. To learn more, please go to Linktree Magna Bosco on Twitter at Magna Bosco and on Facebook and Instagram at Magna Bosco 210. Here comes that pause. We'll be right back. Wait, wait, wait. Before we take that break, let's talk about inner and outer health. Thinning hair is complicated, and the problem is actually much bigger than our hair alone. Just like our skin, the condition of our hair reflects our overall health, and there are internal factors that can affect the way our hair looks, feels, and grows. And that's where Nutrafol can help. With Nutrafol's Hair Wellness Quiz, you can get a personalized hair health plan today. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. Take their three-minute hair wellness quiz for a personalized plan that targets better hair growth through a whole-body health approach. Determine the root causes that keep you from reaching your hair potential by analyzing lifestyle, 
biology, hair history, and environmental triggers. Nutrafol has five formulas that are tailored to your hair's needs to help you achieve visibly thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair in three to six months. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning from within. Each physician-formulated product is drug-free and made with high-quality ingredients that are recommended by more than 4,500 doctors and hairstylists nationwide. What I love most about Nutrafol is that in addition to stronger and healthier hair, my sleep, stress response, and pesky menopause symptoms, including hot flashes, have improved. No matter your lifestyle or stage of life, Nutrafol is here to help you to keep growing and help simplify self-care with easy online purchasing, no prescriptions or doctor visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure that you'll never miss a day. Join me and more than a million others who are committed to keep growing with Nutrafol. Start your hair growth journey today by taking Nutrafol's hair wellness quiz and get your personalized hair plan today. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping at Nutrafol.com slash quiz when you enter the promo code HARVESTING. Take the quiz and get started on reaching your hair wellness goals with Nutrafol today. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash quiz promo code HARVESTING. That's Nutrafol.com slash quiz promo code HARVESTING. Here comes that pause. We'll be right back. Each day, we have the intellectual freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable, regardless of external circumstance. If you or someone you know is struggling with mental health, seek support because good psychological health is vital in the achievement of a happy and satisfying life. Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for psychosocial educational resources to boost emotional and social intelligence. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness? Sharing is caring. Pay it forward by spreading the word to your community and through social media. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with and follow us on most social media channels. And we're back. But before we get back to it, let's talk about the happiness of good hair days. Truth be told, these days I don't get to the salon often and my work from home professional attire is pretty much athleisure wear and a low key hairdo. But I do love having beauty shop quality hair at home. And that's why I'm going from shower to salon quality hair in just five minutes with Way's new hair gloss, which instantly became a staple in my self-care ritual because it quickly gives me vibrant and bouncy, healthy looking hair. Love that instant gratification. Way's new hair gloss gives immediate shine, helps treat damage, and enhances color that radiates fabulous hair, not to mention providing heat protection against styling tools. The beauty of Way's new hair gloss is that my hair goes from drab to sparkling after a five-minute treatment made with hyaluronic acid and rice water. According to a recent Perception study, 85% agreed that their hair looks shinier, healthier, and smoother after use. Way offers a complete hair care solution that promotes fuller looking, healthier feeling, and happier hair for everyone. Fine, medium, or thick hair? Way has got you covered. Treat yourself to great self-care and good hair days with Way's best-selling products like their leave-in conditioner, detox shampoo, travel destination-inspired fragrances, and hair oil. Give your hair a glow-up with Way. Go to T-H-E 
OUAI.com and use promo code HH for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code HH. Now let's get back to the conversation. And we're back continuing the conversation with my guest today, Anthony Magnabosco. We're talking about what it means to be streetwise, a more rationally philosophical road to reason and accountability. Let's get back to the conversation. So Anthony, let's go back to the ghost example, because I think this is a pretty neutral way to reinforce the technique, right? It's mm. not, not too inflammatory. Everybody can, can chuckle about it. So when we talk about the woman with whom you were having the conversation about the ghosts, she probably also had a cultural awareness of ghosts would be my guess that within her family dynamics. She did. Yes, she did. In fact, um, we actually talked about that a little bit, that this was a belief that she was told by her grandmother. And it was a very important belief to her and her family. So one thing you kind of have to keep in mind is that the exploration of a deeply held belief could be a profound realization that I'm overconfident in something that might not be true. And you could even be taking away a belief that's very important to somebody. So if I were to meet with, with her for a third time, and that was our second conversation, the first time we talked about truth, she she started with the idea that truth is what you make it. If you believe it's strong enough, you can make it true as long as you're not hurting anybody, blah, blah, blah. And we talked about that. She came back for a second Ooh, talk. And that, that's, yeah, that's juicy. That's, that's juicy. juicy, right? <laughs> yes. those, are my, those are on my YouTube channel. <clears throat> but um, so, so we were talking about ghosts. If I were to meet with her for a third time, I think we would explore how she thinks that she could still honor her loved ones who are deceased without necessarily thinking that they're that the spirits of them are coming back to visit and again i wouldn't be telling her this she might be giving examples of things that she might consider equivalent or maybe even better like well maybe we can just pull out photographs on the anniversary of their death or play some music that they used to like or, or maybe light a candle and, and share some stories that we enjoyed as opposed to her conclusion that didn't seem to be based on on really really solid evidence. But then again, we don't know. We do not right? know. We do. We do and none know. of us know. None of us can really verify one way or the other that ghosts it's, exist sure. or not. It's conceivable and, that that they do exist. But what I was hoping from that conversation is that maybe she wouldn't have completely abandoned the belief. In fact, yeah. I'm wearing the, sh the shirt like um, uh, there's a. Oh, I like than, that. So like, it, yes, either ghosts exist or they don't. That's binary. But her belief that they do exist is on a spectrum. And when you frame it in a, in a gradient like that, it allows the person to realize, oh, I could just simply back off of my confidence that this is true, but still maintain it. And they have that control the whole time. It's not just like I have to completely extinguish this belief. And it, it, I think it, it opens people up to looking at their belief in a different way and, and realizing that they can shift and that's huge. And we don't, we tend to think in binary terms when it comes to our beliefs. I like that. And it makes me think about religion. And I know that religion is a hot topic for many people, but in a certain sense, um, religion calls for some blind faith. Mm -hmm. And how do we know that to be true or not? And how do we know that, that the tenets of each of these religions are in fact true they're not That's factual right. 
they're stories. They're stories that we agree to believe in in order to belong to that group. Well, that's your view of it. And there were people who- That is my view. That there were, and we can SE your view. You yeah, know, I would it, love to SE my view. <laughs> we can walk through your reasoning behind that. Yeah. So faith is an interesting word. In fact, in the case of the woman who we were talking about, Ghost, she started describing her reasoning that was very akin to faith. I don't think she actually brought up the word faith, but it was something like, you know, believing with believing without seeing or something along those lines. And it, it's fascinating how people, especially in, in a religious context, will find that as a virtue, but they've never considered how problematic faith can be as most people define it, which in my, in my definition would be something like untestable trust. I trust that it's the case, but I don't have the ability to test it, and I'm noble for thinking it. That tends to be how people are using it in a religious context. Uh, what, what's really cool, though, is if you discover that I'm, I have a, a view that there's a higher power, and I have a view that the ghosts are real, and I have a view that something other else is true, and my justification or, or my method for verifying the reasoning is faith, if I can realize through the act of questioning that faith is an unreliable method for determining truth, the realization of the faultiness of that methodology has implications for hundreds of other beliefs. Yes. So there's an efficiency to the SE approach because you can be talking about methodology and impacting confidence on dozens and dozens and dozens of conclusions without even bringing them up. Yeah. No, I get it. And faith does not take into account reason, logic, and accountability. It's, it it depends, on, depends on who you ask. Some people will say, well, first I have evidence and then faith gets me over the line to bring me to the 100% or something like that. It's, it's a That's slippery fair. word. A, it's very, yeah, I get faith, it. Listen, faith is one of those, those suitcase words that the second you hear it, ask your conversation partner for their definition and write it down. And then a check in occasionally because the definition will probably shift as you keep talking, but always work within their definition. It's their definition of those words like faith that is important. It's not mine. It's how the woman who thinks ghosts were real. I want to work within her model. It's her reasoning. It's her words. It's her meanings of those words. And that's that's where the true understanding happens. That's where their own understanding happens. And that's where they begin to realize perhaps that maybe I'm overconfident. I like this approach because it is kind, right? You're not minimizing the other or making the other wrong. You want to have connection with that person for whatever period of time you're engaged in that conversation. So this approach is allowing us to come into the other's world. The kindness does help. So if you're civil, you're going to have good rapport and good rapport leads to openness Openness leads to understanding because now they're revealing their true reasons and so forth. And then a true understanding can lead to reflection. Those, those moments of aporia where your conversation partner like stares at the ceiling, like, whoa, I hadn't thought about that. And it, that reflection then leads to, to reconsideration. So yes, I, I don't see how you can use an approach like street epistemology if you were being antagonistic. And we do see examples of people who are antagonistic about the claims people make and then try to utilize the tools of SE. And it's like, it's almost like jamming a, a square peg through a circular hole. <laughs> you know, you could probably <laughs> make it fit, but it's going to do a lot of damage in the process. 
I I think that one of the things that I've learned, not I think, I know one of the things that I've learned over the past several years is that when I attempt to dig deep in conversation with somebody who holds an opposing view, I ultimately get to the place where I realize that we're not that far off from one another. I mean, that's the, that's the big reveal, right? That you and I may not share aligned views, but our desires for what we want in life, right? To have a decent life, a happy life, you know, to have our basic needs met, those are the same. Absolutely. You're right. At, at the foundation of all of our views are our values and morals. And generally, most of us want to see human flourishing and reduce yes. human suffering. Yes. And we yes. do have that in common. Yes. So that that is something that we usually have in common. And to start from that place, like being willing to go into the conversation with recognizing that although this person might be quite outlandish from my view in their beliefs, at the core or the foundation of who they are, I'm not separated from them, which is what allows empathy to to, to be present. It totally helps to, to view the person as distinct from the beliefs that they hold. Yes. And if you can put yourself in that mind frame, and if they can do the same to you, now you're just exploring your conclusions and not your character. Because uh, we're generally all acting out in a moral fashion, generally, at least we try to, at least we, I mean, we generally, we want to, and we generally think that we're good people. Everyone that you talk to probably thinks that they're a good person and what they're doing is good. But a lot of the beliefs that we hold are not true. And we're overconfident <laughs> in thinking that they're true. And our beliefs do cause us to act out in the world. So disentangling the conclusion or the beliefs from the a person's identity and their self, which is exactly what we do in street epistemology, because we're not focused on the, on the ego triggering claim. We're exploring process. That's where you can really, you can disentangle the person from the conclusion and you can really start exploring their reasoning behind their belief. Do you teach this to kids? Is this something that you can, you go into schools and teach young people or how young can, does one, or how old does one need to be in Ooh. order to get going? There's a wonderful video. Well, there's a video circulating on YouTube where uh, one, I think the channel is called Deep Discussion. So if you go to his channel, check it out. He's sitting in a room with his daughters and they're having a conversation about whether Nemo the clownfish is real or not. And he's asking all <laughs> the, he's asking all the same types of questions that we would ask in an SE conversation about religion or ghosts or politics or some social issue. So there's probably no, obviously you have to speak English and you have to have some cognitive abilities to do this and age appropriate like the subject age, matter needs to be age appropriate age appropriate like yeah. this is great for parents who who are worried because their kids think that there's a monster under the bed you can absolutely use this with kids to explore fantastic yes totally. santa, claus? On, santa claus i've used it on the trail though with a 90 year old who said you know i've never really thought about my beliefs in this way before which i think is is i hate to say like criminal like it's it's very sad that people may never have had the opportunity to really reflect deeply on on their reasoning. So there's really no age range. It's there age I think is a consideration if you're a, if you're a practitioner and you want to do this with somebody, I probably wouldn't sit down with an 8-year-old and do it without their parents knowing about it. You know, like there there's some responsibility yeah. I think as you wield this tool how you use it and when and with who. 
Well, I think, or teaching it to the kids and presenting it in such a way that it then becomes a home play assignment with their parents, like where the kids are teaching the parents is what I'm saying, which would be cool. I mean, that would be great. Like, ideally, you just like if you're a parent, you're listening to this every once in a while, just ask a, a question like, I wonder how we can know that that's true or what would it look like if that wasn't true? Or what evidence would we need to stumble across to to lower our confidence in that or raise our confidence? And you don't have to just do that every time they bring up a claim. You can just throw it in there every once in a while. Because ideally, we we start adopting this line of questioning and it just becomes second nature to us. So we're not doing anything. It's just a normal everyday part of humanity. That's the ultimate objective of the organization that we're behind. We want to normalize this approach. So it just it just happens. To be curious, to be inquisitive. And that is actually, when you look at the values that happy people hold, those who remain in that state of curiosity, wonder, and delight, self-report a higher level of life satisfaction, right? So I'm seeing what you're, what you're offering as just another avenue to become happier. What is a Socrates quote? The examined life is not worth living. Something yes. along those lines. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, my, my life has increased tremendously after I adopted this technique and I stopped, I stopped debating and arguing with people. I'll never go back to that again. And I, I wouldn't advise my kids to do that because I, I mean, it's so much more effective to just be curious and ask questions and help your conversation partner reveal the strongest argument for their position so that they can later reflect on it. That is how we get out of the mess that we're in. Like things yeah. are falling apart. We're like, things are not good in, in America and beyond. <laughs> no, they're not. I, I don't know any other way to get out of this mess other than an approach like this and normalizing it into the culture. And it might have to be a grassroots up type of thing. And this is how we inoculate ourselves. You know, when we talk about misinformation inoculation, this is one of those tools, right? Exactly. Where yes. We say, basically, you know, show me the proof. Or if you don't have the proof, that's okay. Like, I think it's okay not to be able to prove with 100% certainty, going back to the case of the woman with the ghost. Yeah. That's all right. And we don't have to agree either. But what we, I think, can at least hope for by using this technique and and in general, what the Mental Immunity Project is, is, is trying to put out in the world is... Um, you create a softer, gentler, more unified world where there's space for everybody. Yeah. And more humble about what it is we claim to know. Not being so overconfident. We have an overconfidence epidemic happening at the moment. (laughs) Yes. And and, uh, I'm not saying that we can't ever be confident in things and be sure that our spouse loves us or that the election was indeed stolen or that it was intended. it was solid. It was that there were not, that there were not any shenanigans there. We can still be confident in our conclusions, but, but um, yeah, just being a little bit more open-minded and willing to change our minds and willing to take a look at our own conclusions. You don't just have to use a street epistemology approach with a stranger on the street or your loved ones or your coworkers or friends or whatever. You can turn it inwards on yourself. And that might be where the biggest bang for the buck is because now you're you're fortifying your own self. And before I share that post, which might be misinformation or disinformation, I might take an extra second to double check the source or ask me because I'm in I'm I I am in street epistemology circles all the time. 
If I posted something, I know I'm going to get a question back about how did I determine that that's a good resource? What would change my mind about it? And when you approach things, when you approach life in that way, and when you, especially when you're interacting on social media, where it's so easy to share stuff, we can be nipping this in the bud. You know, we could become more responsible citizens when it comes to the information that we're propagating. Love it. We are out of time and we're going to carry on more of this conversation on our extra content. We're creating a special episode that we will be uh, adding to our Substack to learn more about my guest today, Anthony Magnabosco and Street Epistemology International. Please go to um, Anthony's link tree, which is Magna Bosco. You can find him on Twitter at Magna Bosco and on Facebook as well as Instagram. That handle is at Magna Bosco 210. Anthony, thanks for joining me and I'm eager to continue the conversation. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen on behalf of my guest, Anthony Magna Bosco, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, Happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Want to take a deeper dive into sound ideas for better well-being? Check out our new bonus edition content, More Mental Fitness by Harvesting Happiness, available exclusively on Medium and Substack. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime, anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with and follow us on most social media channels. To learn more about lifestyle management and mental fitness consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Harvesting Happiness and More Mental Fitness are produced by me, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, Andrea Mengeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Guess, in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.